me in your Bibles to Psalm 50, verses 1 to 6. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, round about him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. I have two purposes this morning, and one is to begin a series on this psalm, which will take us about three weeks, I think. And the other is to pick up on last week's text. You remember verse 14 of Hebrews 13 said, Here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. And we talked as a staff about singing about that city, singing about Zion and about the heavenly Jerusalem and the city of God. And we said probably for many Christians today, especially if they didn't grow up, in the church, that whole idea of Zion and the heavenly Jerusalem and the city of God is a very uh, vague, at best, unknown idea. And so as I reflected on that, I thought to myself, perhaps, and Dean sowed the seed in my mind, perhaps we should devote a whole message to the theme of Zion. And that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to take verse 2 here and uh, focus on Zion. We've sung about Zion, city of our God. Glorious things of thee are spoken. Zion, city of our God, he whose word cannot be broken, formed thee for his own abode. And I want to spend a kind of uh, thematic 30 minutes with you. Not so much unpacking these six verses, which I'll come back to next week. But taking that one idea, Zion, from which God shines forth, and unfolding it biblically from the first time it occurs until the last time it occurs, so that at least all of you who are here from this day forward will be able to have some clear biblical idea of what is Zion anyway. Why should Zion be significant in my life? And as I pondered whether or not a word like Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of God, could ever be relevant to, to, to people who, who might come in here and who are secular, modern, American, maybe irreligious, I thought of the man who wrote that hymn, Glorious Things of the Earth Spoken, John Newton. He wrote Amazing Grace also. And I was encouraged that if John Newton can come to the point where he sings glorious things of the earth spoken, anybody can move from irreligion, immorality, secularism, modernism to embrace the glories of Zion. Because John Newton was a wild and corrupt and wicked young man. By his own testimony, he he ran from his father, he ran from the law, he sailed the high seas, became a captain of his own slave trading ship, and in the 1750s ran the slave routes on the northern coasts and the western coasts of Africa. 
In his old age, he called himself the old African blasphemer. He hated God and ran from God and did every kind of immorality you could imagine in those days. And you'd think that a person like that would never, ever come to use the word Zion. That's a, that's a churchy word, right? That's a religious word. The only people that use the word Zion or the heavenly Jerusalem are people who spend all the time in the Bible, don't know anything about the world, had no experience with sin. That's just not true. Never has been true. And it isn't true today. The most irreligious and immoral person you know is probably more religious and more moral than John Newton was. And you then should, by grace, be able to imagine them saying glorious things of the earth spoken. He died in December of uh, 1807 and wrote his own epitaph, which is written on his gravestone. It goes like this. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine. A servant of slaves in Africa was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And one of the things he came to see was the beauty and the glory of Zion, city of our God. And so I want to just take this verse 2 from our text about Zion, the perfection of beauty from you, God shines forth, and trace it with you through the Bible for the minutes we have left, and leave a taste in your mouth that hopefully will fill you with the same song, the same hope, the same joy concerning this great and glorious truth of Zion. What is this for Christians today in the 20th century in Minneapolis? What is Zion? What difference should Zion make in your life? Let's go back. And what I'm going to suggest is that you not try to follow me in all these texts that I'm going to be looking at because it would, uh, it would so distract you to be flipping around in your Bible. I'm going to refer to so many texts that it would probably be better that you just listen. And if you want the text, just go to the the drawer next Sunday and pull the manuscript and they'll all be there. So try to just walk with me with your heart and with your mind and let your heart just fill up with the truth of Zion as I give it to you from Scripture. And then you can look at these texts later. I'm, the first time the word Zion occurs in the Bible is Second Samuel 5, 7, where it says of David, the king and his men went to Jerusalem Against the Jebusites, those were the first inhabitants of Jerusalem before any Jews took it over. Against the Jebusites, and David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And so from the very beginning, Zion referred to Probably a very special hill in Jerusalem that became the city of David. So that city of David and Zion are virtually interchangeable throughout the Old Testament. And what begins to make this place of Zion so special is that immediately David brought to Zion, out of the house of Obed-Edom, the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark of the Covenant, you remember, is that box, about this big, in which was Aaron's rod, some manna, and the tables of the covenant, 
where God met his people in the Holy of Holies as the ark stood in the back part of the tabernacle or the tent that was brought back from captivity and put on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. So that very quickly the word Zion began to represent the place of God, the place where God met his people, a place of God's presence and and delight. And when Solomon then in first Kings chapter eight, verse one, moved the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle on the hill Zion into the temple, the whole area came to be known as Zion and Jerusalem as a whole city came to be known as Zion. Zion city of our God is simply Jerusalem in most of the 150 plus uses in the Old Testament. Let me give you a text or two just to show you this precious truth that Zion represents the presence of God among his people. For example, Psalm 9:11, Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. So Zion is the place where God dwells in a very unique and special way among all the other areas in Palestine, Jerusalem, The temple, the ark, Mount Zion is the place where God dwells. Another one is Psalm 74, verse 2. Remember Mount Zion, O Lord, where thou hast dwelt. So Zion is the dwelling place of God among his people. Not only was it the dwelling place of God, it came to be then known as the place from which they could get help. And that obviously follows, doesn't it? If God dwells in a unique way on Mount Zion, then that's the place to which you go for help and salvation and deliverance. For example, Psalm 20, verse 2, may the Lord send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. So help and support come from Zion or Psalm 3, verse 4, I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy hill, that is Mount Zion. And so Zion was a place of God's presence, and it was a place of God's powerful help for his people. Now, here's where something interesting begins to happen. Jerusalem was not an ideal city, was it? Jerusalem was a sinful city. It was never the city that could be perfect and beautiful as Zion was supposed to be. And it was presented as being. And therefore, what emerged is this. The old Jerusalem, the sinful Zion, started to point upward to a heavenly Jerusalem or a heavenly Zion, and it started to point forward to a future Zion and a future Jerusalem. And the, and the prophets especially picked up on this and taught about this. Or to put it in another way, if it's true that God dwells on earth in an imperfect Zion, then we know surely that his dwelling in heaven must be a perfect Zion. If the presence of God is Zion and he dwells here in this imperfect city, then his dwelling in heaven must represent, as it were, a perfect Zion, a perfect city. Or to think of it along the timeline of earth, if God has chosen to dwell with his people in an imperfect, sinful Zion. And yet there are many promises that God will one day rule in perfection and righteousness and peace and love and joy on the earth and over the nations. Then there must be a Zion coming that is going to be far superior, far more glorious than this present Zion. Now, let me show you both of those directions from texts in the Old Testament. The upward Zion 
or the heavenly Zion and the future Zion. Let's take the future first. For example, Isaiah 24, 23. The moon will be confounded. The sun will be ashamed. For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. So there's coming a day when the reign of God in Jerusalem on Mount Zion will be so stunning in glory that the sun will go like this. If you remember, don't you, that at the end of the Bible, when it describes the new Jerusalem, it says there will be no more sun or moon for the Lord will be the glory in that city in the new Jerusalem. Or Micah 4, verse 6, In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, and the Lord will reign over them on Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. So there's coming a day when all the lame of God's people will be healed. They'll be gathered together into his city. He'll reign over them in mercy and joy and healing forevermore. One other text on this future coming of Zion. Isaiah 2, verse 2 and following. It shall come to pass in the latter days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and all the nations shall flow to it. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and shall decide for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. God is going to reign in Zion someday over all the nations. There will be peace and justice and righteousness and love everywhere. And I believe what's being taught here is simply the truth of the millennium. We haven't talked much about the millennium because the Bible doesn't talk much about the word millennium. But it talks very much about the coming rule and reign of God on this earth out of Zion when all the nations will be at peace and righteousness and mercy will kiss. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Psalm 2, verse 6. The Messiah will reign. The old Jerusalem is too sinful to be the fulfillment of what God anticipates for his true Zion. Therefore, there is coming in the future a Zion, a city of God that will be beautiful and pure and righteous and holy and from which will spread the word and all the nations will be transformed in that great day. Now, that's the vertical hope. What about this? um, I said that horizontal. That's the horizontal one. Now, what about this vertical dimension of the upward or the heavenly Jerusalem? I want you to turn with me to a text now. It's not too far away. Psalm 87. Because, frankly, I was blown away as I studied this psalm and its relationship to Zion and the nations and my own Gentile existence in Minneapolis. Psalm 87 is simply a stunning and amazing psalm to find in the Old Testament. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. That's where John Newton got his hymn. And now comes a word from the Lord, which is simply amazing concerning the true citizens of Zion. He says, among those who know me, 
And that means a saving knowledge. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab, Babylon, behold, Philistia, and Tyre with Ethiopia. Now, just think about that for a moment. He is foretelling in that verse that those pagan nations, Babylonians, Philistines, Ethiopians, Egyptians, that's what Rahab stands for, they know God someday. Someday they're going to know God and be a part of Zion. And now he describes them in this amazing verse that comes now as natural born citizens of Zion. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, not just Israelites, but the peoples. This one was born there. Now, that's amazing. Just think about that for a moment. Babylonians and Egyptians and Ethiopians. Now, just ask this question. If Zion, if Zion is the place of God's presence, if Zion is the place of his blessing and power and his protection and his hope, if Zion is that future city from which the word and the salvation of the Lord streams out, then what about me? 20th century Gentiles never been to Jerusalem and never had any occasion for my citizenship to be enrolled there at all. What about those who pay taxes in Minneapolis and St. Paul and Roseville and Burnsville and Bloomington and Wyzetta? What about us? And the answer to this psalm, verse 5 is that the Most High sovereignly, freely, with complete effect and authority is saying in Minneapolis, this one was born in Zion. Moscow, this one was born in Zion. Jakarta, this one was born in Zion. Kankan, Guinea, this one was born in Zion. God is sovereignly populating Zion from all the nations and tribes and peoples and tongues by his sovereign, effectual call and appointment saying, John Piper, born in Chattanooga, was born in Zion. Noel Piper, born in Virginia, born in Zion. If you are to be a citizen of Zion, your birth certificate must read, this one was born in Zion. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? How can this be? What are we up against here in the Old Testament? Is there really a doctrine of the new birth in the Old Testament? Is there a doctrine of second birth already in the Old Testament? It is an amazing thing. The New Testament says something remarkable. Galatians 4.26 says, The Jerusalem above is free 
And she is our mother. The Jerusalem above is free. And she is the one who conceived us and gave us birth. We were born in the new Jerusalem when we were born of the Spirit of God. You've been given citizenship in that country if you've been born of God. This one was born in Zion. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from above, he shall never see the kingdom, the city of God. Hebrews 12:22 says to Christians, you have come. Now, underline the tense of that verse. I'm coming back to it. You, that verb, I mean, the tense of that verb. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Now, notice the verb. You Christians, you have come to Zion. The heavenly Jerusalem, the city of God. You have come. Not you will come someday, but you have come. One of the great truths of the Christian faith is that when you are born of God, you no longer need to wonder, am I a citizen? Will I make it to the city of God? Will I be a part of the new Jerusalem someday? You already have your name written on the roll in that book. Your name is inscribed on the pillar of our God. By virtue of your new birth. And therefore your hope for the new city to come is not a hope for a city you don't know. Not a hope for a city where you'll knock on the door and say, may I please be a member of this city. That's not the attitude that you ought to have this morning at all. On the basis of your new birth, you ought to say, I've been born from above. The Lord has said to me very personally, this one was born in Zion. My name is written on the citizenry of that city. I have a standing in Zion already. I have come to Mount Zion. I live in heaven. Didn't Paul say in Colossians 3, 3, you have died with Christ and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. It's the same thing with Mount Zion. You already are in Mount Zion, Christian. Do you believe that? You live in Mount Zion. Your citizenship is in heaven. Paul said that in Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we wait for a Savior now. When he will just open the books and say, these are the people who are written in heaven. These are the people whose citizenship is already there. These are the people who are secure in Zion. And then last week's text comes alive, doesn't it? Let us go with him outside the camp and bear abuse for him. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek not with trembling, not with uncertainty, not with wondering if we're going to find it or attain it. We seek the city which is to come where our citizenship is already fixed by the new birth, by the sovereign begetting work of the Spirit of God. 
It's a glorious thing to be a Christian this morning. It's a glorious thing to be saved. It's a glorious thing to be secure. And I want to end this message where the Bible ends it. I've just been amazed in the last couple of days working on this. This theme of Zion and the heavenly Jerusalem and the city of God could be used as a kind of motif to hold the whole Bible together. Because do you know what the last two chapters of the Bible are all about? If the Bible was inspired by God and is a totality and a unity that has one great message to deliver to the world, where would you want God to end that message? The message is ended in Mount Zion. Two chapters to describe Mount Zion, the new Jerusalem coming down. And then closing in chapter 22 with a grand invitation to sinners. And that's where I want to close this morning. Let me describe just a few things from these two chapters. In fact, I invite you, spend the afternoon, spend ten minutes. That's all it would take to read the last two chapters of the Bible. Anybody can find the last two chapters of the Bible. You don't even have to remember what numbers they are. Just open your Bible at the end and flip back until you find the last two chapters and read about the new Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the city of God this afternoon. It's coming down out of heaven someday, and the, the, the city of, of, of the world and man and the city of God will become one as, as the kingdom of the Lord makes the kingdoms of the earth his own. And it will be like a bride prepared for her husband. It will be like a jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal with pillars. And on those pillars written the names of the twelve apostles and twelve doors. And over the twelve doors the names of the twelve tribes. Meaning this is the new Jerusalem. This is the true Zion to which all the nations may come. And out of that city, flowing from the throne of God, there's a river called the river of life, and in it the water of life that anybody may drink from. And on either side of the river, there's the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruits every month out of the year and leaves for the healing of the nations. And in that city, there's no sun and no moon because the glory of the Lord is so radiant, so bright, so stunning that those uh, celestial bodies are ashamed to shine, it says in the psalm. And you there will be with God and he will reign and be your God and you will be his people and you will reign forever and ever. And then the invitation is held out. The spirit and the bride say, come, let him who hears say, come, let him who is thirsty, come, let him who desires drink from the water of life without price. For the Lord will give the water of life to the thirsty without payment. All you have to do this morning to be a citizen of the city is drink from the river that flows from the throne of God. Let's bow in prayer and and just each of us deal with the Lord now where we are in relation to this great reality because I'm sure that there are people who have been long-standing citizens of this city in this room. Long before I was born, you were enrolled. And so I just commend to Christians among us who have trusted in Christ and now bank your hope on Him and submit your lives to Him to just consider how short the city of this world is, how its foundations are weak, how life is a breath, and how glorious the truth is that your name is written in the city of heaven, that you were born there. God has made you, as it were, a natural-born city of Zion and will never cast you out. 
And therefore you can seek a city which is above with absolute surety that you will not fail to attain. And what a freedom there is for service in that freedom and surety. And then for those of you who have not committed yourselves to the Lord, who don't believe in him yet, who don't walk with him and submit yourself to him, is it not the longing of your heart to have a city with foundations? Is it not the longing of your heart to drink at the river of the water of life? Isn't it the longing of your heart to taste of the tree of life which gives eternal life and forgives all sins? On the outside of that city someday is going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there is no reason why she should not come. And so I invite you to come to Christ this morning and drink. Oh, Father, save, deliver, grant repentance, unlock the heart. You have all the keys of the universe. Grant, I pray, that the water would seep in around the closed door and that the heart, by grace, would taste and see that the Lord is good. And open the door wide so that the sluice gates might be lifted and the river of mercy might flow into every heart here in this room. Lord, root our hope in Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of God. Establish us as your people. Fill us with a love to your church and to your cause as we close and sing together. In Jesus' name, amen.